Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 19 of the Founder Podcast with Brent Grundy. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Welcome to the Founder Podcast. Hope you've all been having a great week. My name is Nathan Chan and I'm your host. Today we are speaking with Brent Grundy. Brent is a local entrepreneur from Australia. I read about him in the our newspaper here down in Australia and um really fascinated by his story. Crazy what he's done in the past four years. If you're interested around building a franchise business, learning what it takes to build a business that you can sell with next level systems, and just want to know what it would feel like if you've lost everything and having to start again from scratch, this is a fascinating interview. I won't go into too much detail, but just a little teaser for what's to come. Brent actually sold a business and it was an extremely successful business. He sold it to somebody because he wanted to do something else and he actually ended up getting done hard. (laughs) What does done hard mean? Well, the deal went to shit and he ended up with nothing, starting from scratch, having to work for someone else and he's come back bigger and better and in four years time he's built an extremely successful multi-million dollar business so I think you're really going to like this story it's really inspiring there's a ton of gold so if you are enjoying these interviews please leave us a review check out the magazine the magazine is where I spend my blood sweat and tears and it's my art 
So let's jump into the show. I hope you enjoy this one, guys. I think you will. Thank you, Brent, for taking the time to speak with me today. Yeah, no problem. Can you first tell us about how you got your job? How I got my job? I had to create my own job. No one will give me a, a job this cool, so I had to create it from scratch. First came about flip out because I was sitting in a kid's play centre. For I've got a, had a three-year-old son at the time, and he was at a birthday party, and there was a little girl that got kicked off some play equipment because she was too tall. And it just sort of stuffed the day for the, the people that were holding the party. Yeah, it was a bit rough. The little girl couldn't get on to play with her brother and sister, couldn't play with her friends. So she just sit there and she cried, and I thought there's got to be something that someone should, you know, make that all kids of all ages, including parents, should be able to go and play on. And that's where I came up with Flip Out. And can you tell us where the business is at now? So you started with an idea, and uh, can you give us an insight to what you've achieved with that business? Well, when I started this, I'd actually had another business previous to that where in the actual sale of the business, I didn't quite get paid anything other than the original deposit. So after um, you know chasing it down, spending more good money to get, to get bad money, I uh, realized that I wasn't going to get my money out of it. Uh, I'd just been outfoxed. So had to you know suck it up and start again, and this was how I started this business. So I actually went back. As much as it sucked, I had to literally go and drive a garbage truck for my parents' business to save up as much money as I could to get going again. And that was that was a bit of a hard, pride-wise, it was pretty hard to suck that up when I had, previous to that, I had a business that the business would turn over roughly around six and a half mil a year turnover and I had close to 30 franchisees in that business. So that, you know, people think it's pretty hard to cop it on the chin and go down to the ground it's not so it is hard to do it but it's um the moment that you you suck it up and you just decide that it was your fault in my case I shouldn't have used a a lawyer that I used it was more of a family friend lawyer and I shouldn't have should have done my research a little bit better because that's what really got me stuck at the end you know when you're when you're down in the dumps the best spot is when you're right on the right on the deck because it's all up from there that's one thing I would say to people out there is, you know, if you do get, you know, knocked down, it's not about what you do to get there. It's about what you do once you are there. Hmm. Wow. So, man, there's a few things I'd like to unpack with that first story. So can you tell us about your first business? Was this your, the, the one that you kind of, I guess, lost out on to start, which fueled flip out? Can you yeah. tell us what happened? Was that, so this business, was that your first business? Yeah, that was my first business. I started that when I was 23. And I started that basically from a conversation that I had with someone um, where they said, you know, you're not very good at saving your money. And I said, oh, I'm not very good at saving it. So I'm good at spending it. I'm good at something. Then they said to me that, you know, well, if you can't save it, you're just going to have to earn more money. And I just thought that's a much better idea. So I just thought I'm just going to make more money. And then I said on the same day, I said, you know what, I'm going to quit because I can't make as much money as I want now and I don't want to have a fallback. So I went and started my business with only a couple of hundred dollars again. What was that business? That was an electrical tagging business. So I went out and um, did electrical safety checks and everyone thought when I started that one that it was a bit of a a hobby and I said it wasn't and I just went out and kept doing it. I I signed up all the um, New South Wales hospitals, had major contracts 
then we were turning up, you know, in the first, I think in the first year, I think we were turning over, it was something pitiful, only something like 60,000, something little. And then it just grew from that sort of, I think the, the second year was sort of like the 600,000. And then it, it grew up to about six and a half mil, maybe a bit over. Yeah, then I actually got bored of it and decided I wanted to um, sell it and do something that was fun because it wasn't really a fun industry. It was selling a safety product and the only way to sell a safety product is to um, really put the fear into people that they need it and it's a government regulation. So it's not a fun thing to sell and I wanted to wanted to do sales and have the customer with a big smile on their face when they bought something from me. I couldn't get that there so I decided to sell it and I found some buyers and they said they didn't have all the money and they, they said that they could do a payoff system. I always said, look, we'll do a deposit, get it all going and then go from there. They paid the deposit and I never received a cent after it. Went chasing it and, yeah, IPs were moved across different places so it wasn't a real real fun position to sit when you're chasing ghosts, as they call it. Yeah, I chased that for about two years and didn't get anywhere with it. So then decided to stop blaming other people and just blame myself for hiring a, um, a lawyer that shouldn't have really put me in the position but it was my fault for hiring me at the start. And now it's just time to get up and go and do something new and maybe teach a couple of people what not to do so they don't go through the same dramas as I did. Yeah, wow. So this is a little bit like the story with, with Steve Jobs, how he lost his company and didn't own it anymore in a way, right? Probably say that on a, on a much <laughs> much smaller scale. I'm more of the ant compared to the uh, <laughs> buffalo here. Yeah, but geez, I, I've actually never personally heard this kind of story before. So I'm really curious. There's, yeah, Before we get to what's happening now with Flip Out and, and how you've grown and scaled that business, I, I'd just like to touch a little bit more on, are we able to talk a little bit more detail on that? There's not really much more detail in it, but that's basically how it all how it all came about. That's um, after that happened, I got I got literally stuck with other people's debts. I got stuck with a lot of a lot of other bills that weren't mine, and they were actually piling up against me. So, I, basically, the original deposit that I got, I had to um, spend that on paying out debts to keep my name clean and and keep everything above board and make sure people were paid because it wasn't their fault. So, you know, no one really knows the, you know behind the scenes and these kind of things, but. It's not a fun position for an intervene, but at the end of the day, these things happen and the only thing you can really do is make sure that you get people paid. That's that's the main thing. If you keep everyone paid, then there's no problems. If you stop paying someone, that's where you will get a drama. So I made sure everyone was paid up and then that was the only person that wasn't paid was me at the end. So, yeah, wow. not fun, but this is the way it goes. Yeah, and and how did it feel when you were going through all this? This must have been so stressful. It is stressful. Yeah, it's a bit of a it's a yeah, a bit of a roller coaster ride. You know, to go from being right on top, being able to, you know, go out and buy whatever you want, any time of the day, anything you want, doesn't matter if it's a new Ferrari or if it's whatever it is, you can go buy it. But then to go back to um, literally driving someone else's car and working out where you've got gold coins to fill the fuel tank in your head, it's not a fun spot to sit. And you sometimes sit there and you go, "How did I end up in this? I never thought I'd be here ever again." But you know, sometimes it just does, you know, it just you end up there. But you know, I suppose it's the that sort of some people wouldn't be able to go through it. You know, do some bad things, I suppose. But you've just got to tough it out. And it's you know, as long as you keep pushing towards the, as long as you keep moving, it's going to go somewhere. It doesn't matter if it's going backwards or forwards. As long as you move and you're going to keep active and keep going. But it's pretty easy to lose motivation. Yeah, that must have been. Oh, I can't even begin to imagine how much of a struggle that would be. And like I remember 
when I first started the magazine, I was actually sued for trademark infringement, and I've never been sued before, and it was such a horrible time, and I can't even begin to imagine how it would feel for you. Like I said, it's not fun at all, and I don't plan on going back there ever again, that's for sure. There's no way, if you typed in what Australia's best lawyers are, they're usually the lawyers that we use these days. <laughs> gotcha. actually, I will never get stuck with that again. Same with the accountants, those kind of guys, we use the best of the best. I can make the money, I can bring that in. If I have to bring a little bit extra in to pay for the best guys, that's better than losing the lot because you've used someone that's not so great. Okay, well... You've overcome that. You're killing it right now with Flip Out. Can you tell us where that business is at now after, since 2011, since starting in 2011? It took me about a year to save up to buy one, basically to not to buy one, to get one built, to get the original trampoline built, which, mind you, only lasted about 10 weeks before it all just tore apart. So it wasn't the greatest. We did learn a lot of lessons from it. And we did open in a car park because, again, I was coming off literally being down in the dumps, had no money, and trying literally, you know, at that stage, I literally had not even enough money to drive my car every day. I actually had to plan when to pick my, my son up from daycare. So, yeah, you'd have certain days you'd look at the fuel in the car and you go, it's got 27 kilometres, and then you'd have to go, well, I have to plan this one. I'm not going to go out today. I'll go out tomorrow. So, yeah, real tough times then, but when I opened on the first day that, I'd literally put every cent that I had into this. And, uh, yeah, Panthers were good enough to give me a go down there, which was really great from them. Like, they were really supportive. We opened up on the 24th of December, only for the reason on the 24th, because I didn't have any money for Christmas presents. I needed to get it open. So on the 24th, I remember we actually opened up for half the day, and then I ran to the shops just before midnight because they closed at midnight on Christmas Eve. When did on my Christmas shopping about 20 minutes worth of Christmas shopping, whatever, on everything I could grab them. So the kids never knew, yeah, didn't have a whole lot then, and not, not many other people did. But at the same time, after that, I think we were open the day after Boxing Day. And in the next, I think it was the next 10 weeks, yeah, we turned over some pretty, some pretty substantial numbers. It was something like 271,000 in its first 10 weeks. So we grew pretty quick. From there, we went to an indoor facility. We've had a lot of council problems because we couldn't get um, DAs through, but then we also couldn't afford not to open. So we had a lot of staff and we needed needed things going. So we did open without the council really wanting us to be open. But if we did it the way councils operate, or a lot of councils, we still probably wouldn't be open to this day. And we've got on the books now, I think there's about four or 500 employees or more. We've got sites in all different countries at the moment. We're opening two in Malaysia right at the second. We've got one in Dubai that's opening in a couple of weeks' time. We've got stuff going in Saudi Arabia. I mean, I'm actually in Dubai on Monday and I'm in Saudi Arabia on Tuesday. I was in Afghanistan only, only probably three months ago. Over in Afghanistan, we're doing a charity build, basically for the kids in Afghanistan. They're just the same as every other kid. They're just in a real sort of ugly environment with, you know, what happens around there. So we, we just want to do something different for different different people in the world. So we're going to do one in Afghan, doing one in Cambodia. We're also opening in Thailand next year. Yeah, there's, a lot, there's a lot going on. We've got Philippines opening soon as well. Just keep on going. There's no reason to stop. We go with the philosophy that, you know, we'd rather deal with good people than people with just a handful of money. So we've knocked back a lot of 
a lot of people, I won't name their names, but they're in the media that we've told we're not interested in doing business with them. And they've come up with some real big numbers, sort of $10 million, you know, $15 million to actually put into the actual company to help grow it. And to be honest, we're just not interested. We'd rather get good people that have got high morals, you know, full of life and want to do things for the right reason. Wow. So I have a few questions around the business model and a little bit more around the product because the listeners probably need need to know a little bit more about how your business works and conceptualize it. So you're able to... Um, it's a franchising business, correct? Yeah, it's a, it's a franchise business and my old, my old company was a franchise business as well. So in franchising, I've seen how different companies operate and I've watched all the different systems. So while I was sitting around for basically two years, I worked out who the best, you know, who had the best systems. In that time frame, I worked out the best economical way to run the business using those type of systems but also using you know people like online workers and this this kind of thing. This is a new day and age. Online workers, I love the idea because they're so appreciative to get your work. They do your work on time, and you don't obviously you don't have to have an office for them. So you can you can multiply your staff huge, and you still keep a small head office, and you get all the stuff done in the background. Yeah. So we put together a really good system. I, I put the original system together. It's been tweaked a few times now, but. For franchisees, everything from their training being online training now and it's uniformed across all countries in all different languages. You can pull it up on your iPhone. The kids will do their, their actual training in store on their iPhones and then they'll be inducted from an actual a proper trainer that will come out on site and do, do their inductions. There's uh, all the actual franchisor training for master franchisees. There's everything systemized. So it's all coming down to policies and procedures so that – the franchisees that come on board, there's no real mess ups if they don't if they spend all their money in their bank account, they can't pay the bills at the end of the month. So on a nightly basis we'll take out a small amount of their marketing fee, their royalties, and we'll put them away so that they don't have to worry about it. It's bills that and even their rent if they want us to do their rents, we'll do their rents on a nightly basis. So there's all these little things that we help try and manage and it's seven eleven have a similar system. And they're probably one of the best franchises in the world. So we've adopted a few things from them. And it's basically it's basically being big brother and making sure that everyone's, you know, everyone's having fun, but you know, people don't have fun if they're not making any money. It's just a it's a good good environment, good in business, like good business for people to be around. Makes money, it's great for families. So that's sort of where it just keeps pushing, we keep growing because of that reason. I see. And so if somebody wanted to become a franchisee in flip out in the early days, how did you convince them that it's it's a good business model? My sales pitch, this is a funny one, a bit of a different one. All I would say to people that were interested in becoming a franchisee was come in the store and sit behind the till for a few days. And if you decide you want to do it, great, do it. If you don't think it's really good, then it probably wasn't, you know, the best thing for you. Which in my in my eyes is basically if you if you're not smart enough to work out that it does the figures. It's got the environment, all those kind of things. Ticks, ticks most people's boxes. They wouldn't be smart enough to run the business if that was the case. And it would sell itself because they would see how effective the, the business model is and, and the the problem that you're solving and how much people love flip out. Yeah, it's just the, um, to be honest, there's, I remember one time when I first opened the original store, the outdoor venue, and I remember going up on the trampoline and um, Having some, having a bit of, you know, a bit of a joke with the guys that were actually on there, and they were trying to do some tricks, and I was telling them to do some 
my other tricks and watching them crash out and, you know, everyone having a bit of a laugh. Anyway, I walked back down to the till and I, I remember looking up thinking, gee whiz, it's been an, over an hour. I've been about an hour that, that I've been standing up here. And you're having a laugh the whole time and then walking back to the till, sitting down, looking in the till and going, I've made like $2,200 in the last hour. That was pretty cool. To be honest, that kind of thing, you just you fall in love with the place. It's not just about, like, it's not about the money. Like, that's all good. That's fine. But that side of the business, that sort of passes after a while. And it becomes, it's more of a culture. So it's, it's about, you know, you watch kids start for the first time, they'll do a backflip. My son yesterday did his first backflip, and he just turned six the other day. He's over the moon about it. And flip out automatically just became the best place in the world all over again. The same boy, when I first opened in the car park at Penrith, he sat on the steps and told everyone that his daddy bought him this for Christmas, but it's okay, you can play too. So it's been a bit of a um, bit of an emotional ride for everybody involved. I've still got the original staff that we had when we first opened on the first day. So they're still out in stores and then I've got those guys, um, I send them to different countries. I had one of my guys, he's over in Taiwan at the moment, he comes back today. He's been overtraining the new staff in the Taiwan store. I've got one of the other guys called Majdi. He's coming to Saudi or going to Dubai and Saudi Arabia with me next week. He's going to start the training for all the guys over there. So it's for, for kids that want, you know, a different career, to be honest, if they sort of jump into one of our stores and show some initiative, these guys have got some pretty cool stuff coming up. At the moment, we're set to turn over some like $43 million in the next 12 months or in this, in this financial year. So it's, it does. It does the numbers. It's it's stacking up, and it's becoming real fun for people in all different parts of the world. I was in London two weeks ago. Yeah, there's plenty of places going up. It's good fun. Yeah. So look, it's there's something I'm dying to ask you, and that is, when you started this business, you started it with the intent to franchise it, correct? Correct. And how did you get so many franchisees on board so quickly and how have you scaled this business so quickly? I didn't get franchisees on so quickly. It's actually been real slow. <laughs> okay, uh, can you tell us about that then because it sounds really easy. I think that we've, um, we haven't missed our mark but we definitely didn't get it. So we're well off what we should be doing and a lot of that's from not putting the right people on at the right times. I should have really put on more, more management and focused more on the actual modelling than trying to do the selling with the franchise and to, to, to begin with. So it's, it's more about that, a little bit more planning and a le- little bit more outside of the store than inside of the store. So that's what, I, that's what I should have been doing. That would have made life a little bit better. I see. So you started, you opened the first business 24th of December 2012. Yep. And when did you bring on your first franchisee? The first franchisee didn't come in. We opened the second store in March. We opened another store in, I think the next store, it took a while to open the next store because we had to wait for council DAs because we had, we've had a lot of fights with the council over getting permissible use of land and things like that. So we had to go to Land Environmental Court a few times and get that sort of sorted out. Then we opened up another one in September. Actually, we opened two in September in 2013 and then from then it's been sort of rolling on pretty quick from there. I see. So I guess my next question comes, when you first started with the first store, how did you get your first 100 customers? Facebook. Facebook. 
Facebook was what I did is to bring people in and I know that if you change anything on your Facebook page, obviously it goes up. But if you put something as your profile picture, it comes up a bit quicker for some reason and more people seem to comment on it. And I asked everyone when they came into Flipout if they wouldn't mind giving me a hand and just taking a photo and putting it on their Facebook. But if they make it their profile photo of them on Flipout, that I give them a free bottle of water or I'll give them a discount of $2. And they all did it. And it was the first day that we opened. I think we had probably about... 100 customers, something like that, maybe maybe a little bit less. And yep. it was the second day we were about 300 customers and the third day it was around 600. So it was just queues and queues and queues of people. So it was, it was good fun. Wow. That's crazy. And what do you guys teach your franchisees the best form of customer acquisition right now to sell the trampolines? You've got to keep it fun. You've got to keep it cool and you've got to be able to teach kids. A trampoline can get boring really, really quick if the range of the kids' tricks run out. So the idea is if you keep teaching children or any age, any adults, doesn't matter. We have, we have some people coming in there sort of 50 years old and they're doing their first flip. But if you keep teaching them a new trick, it all becomes brand new again. Just like I said before, my young son that was in yesterday in one of the stores he, one of the guys taught him how to do his first backflip. And this morning he got up and he said straight away, he goes, we have to go to flip out this morning, have to go to flip out. So it's all just became, the that whole world just became brand new again. So then next month it'll be something he'll want to do, you know, he'll get bored of the backflip in the next couple of weeks and then he'll want to do something new. And if he doesn't get taught something new, he's going to get bored and he won't want to come. So we teach him something new and he'll keep coming. I see. So you found a gap in the market for trampolines. Well, it's a, ga- it's a gap in the market, but it's not just for trampolines. It's just it's a gap in the market for people of all ages to come together and, and play in one place. See, the little brother will want to come to something small like a little soft play kids play center, but the older brother won't come because it's not cool. So, And then the dad won't want to come, especially if you've got a single dad that has a little son might say, look, you know what, I'm not going to take my little son down to the soft play centre because he, the dad doesn't think it's cool. It's not cool for him to hang out there. He wants his son to be to grow up to be that cool kid that's full of confidence, that got, that's got all the tricks up his sleeve, that can do these real high-risk but outrageous, you know, cool moves. I think it's sort of everything that a dad would want to do. Um, and same with the mums. Like the, the mums love to see their, their daughters come down, they'll come down though instead of doing their normal day-to-day dancing they can come and learn how to do all their flips and tricks and then they go out and incorporate it into their dancing so everyone sort of wins it's good i see and what did the first version of the trampoline look like compared to what it is now and i'm curious how much like customer development did you do with the kids to work out how to how to create something that people just fall in love with the trampoline is basically identical, the original green with the two pyramids. That's still the same. Like that's our signature look. That's what we want to keep. That's that's our flip out. Everything else around it, we've added in obviously foam pits. We've put Olympic trampolines. We've put wall runner trampolines as well. We've put kids tramps. We've, you know, there's a lot of other things we've put in there. We've got a two-story trampoline at the moment. We've got a glow-in-the-dark trampoline. We've got all these cool extra things coming in. We've got DJ nights with laser light shows and there's a lot of these extra things that we can't, that, that come in. We even run dance groups with rap dancing and, and all these other kind of 
or breakdancing competitions. So it's all about we engage the customers like no one else. We have um, MCs in all our centres. We run different trick competitions and, and different nights where we, where we run these prize competitions and, and things like this. You've got to reward the customer as much as they reward us. Like they come in, you know, obviously they feed us and they keep us growing. But at the same time, we've got to remember that they're, that they're you know, they're the reason we are, you know, where we are. So if we keep giving back, it might cost a little bit extra in prizes and all these extra things that we do and for DJs and all these extra things. We don't charge any extra for any of that. But it's all about getting the experience. It's not just trampolines are good, but you've got to keep it fun. You've got to keep the atmosphere right. The atmosphere is wrong. No one's going to come back. It's it's kind of like having a candlelight dinner in the middle of a shopping center. It's not going to be so exciting unless you, you know, you get the right atmosphere in the room or dim the lights and, and get everything exactly the way it should be. How did you learn this? I don't think it's something that you can be really taught. I think it's just something that's in your head and you just think that that is what is cool. So it's it's basically, for me, I just look at it and go, oh, that's just what you'd normally do, wouldn't you? And all my other people say, no, it's not. I go, well, that's the way I'd do it. And so that's just the way that that's why we do it. So I don't really ask. I'm not trying to come across as arrogant, but oh no, of course really I'm ask, just curious. I don't I don't try and ask too many people for opinions because they try and all they do is persuade what yours is, and what my opinion is sort of the way that we've progressed to where we are now. And if I let someone else come in before you know it, they're going to be painting a wall pink. They're going to be painting, you know, the party rooms in all you know rainbows and unicorns and things like that. And yeah, that's just definitely not where we plan on going with this business. That's, we'll leave that for the soft play centers, but that's definitely not us. Okay, Brent. Well, I guess what I'm really trying to find out is what are some key things that our audience can learn from you that you'd like to say you wish you knew when you first started to really grow and ra- rapidly grow and scale a business? One of the first things I'd say is that you don't ask people for advice when you already know better. That's one. Don't only persuade your correct answer to something that isn't going to work for you. Don't take on other people's fears. Don't adopt their fears at all. People will always tell you not to do something because they're scared of doing it themselves. But you inside might be able to go out and do that, exactly what you are dreaming of. But the guy next to you doesn't have the same dream, can't get the same picture. And because he believes and he knows deep down that he can't do it, so just out of a safety fact, not that he's trying to, he's not trying to be bad to you, he's not not trying to be jealous or anything like that to you, but he'll try and persuade you not to do it just out of his care for you. It could be a family member. But in them doing that, they'll stop you from having all these new opportunities in life. So you've got to keep keep doing what you've got to do. If you've got to literally cut people out, whether it's family, and trust me, I've done that a few times, just to cut negativity out, you've just got to go for it and just not listen to anybody. Just do what, you, do what you've got to do and the moment you start listening to someone is the moment a lot of the time where you'll lose focus. You'll forget where you were originally going. So and the other thing is I'd say just don't stop. You've got to keep going. doesn't matter if you – it's like walking into the surf. You know, you'll get hit by all the ways but you just keep on walking. You can't, you can't let anything stop you. It doesn't matter if it's – like for us, we've had plenty of council problems. We've had all these different things that have popped up in the, in the you know along the way and it could be a money problem or it could be some other kind of problem. You've just got to keep going. Don't stop no matter what. If you keep pushing for long enough, something will pop up and you'll grab hold of it and you'll keep going. This is great. I'm, I'm curious, how many hours do you work a week? 
this is a um, this is a bit of a laugh. <laughs> I have never counted, but I could give you my sleep pattern if you like. <laughs> yeah, they'd be curious. I'm curious. Okay, I would I would go to bed at about let's just say um, ten o'clock. I would sit on Skype talking to some guys till probably uh, this would be overseas to probably Dubai, and I might have a couple of phone calls while I'm in bed to Dubai on Skype talking to them about what we've got coming up, what franchisees we've got in the system coming through right now. Then it would get to probably, let's just say, 12 o'clock, have a sleep for about three hours, and then I'd wake up, talk to the guys in the UK about what's going on over in the UK at the moment. And then um, depending on what's going on, because we might have to talk to Scotland as well, so we'd make some phone calls there, send some emails back and forth, send them any documentation that they need, and then at probably, let's just say, 4 o'clock in the morning, probably sleep till about 7.30 and then get up and go to work. Maybe 6 o'clock in the morning, depends if I've got to talk to any of the builders at all because they start early. And then off your day starts. Wow, that's intense. And what sort of hours were you doing when you first started, like uh, just to get the business off the ground and get your when you first launched? Can you give us an insight into that? I'll tell you about when we actually first when we first built the actual trampoline is a pretty good one. When yeah. we did that, I remember I started on, I think it was a Wednesday at 5 o'clock in the morning, on a Wednesday morning, and I didn't leave site. It was about 40 degrees that same day. We started building, and we had two guys go home from heat stroke. One of the guys that was actually on site went to hospital on that same day. It was 42 degrees, I think it was, from heat. So it was three guys that completely left the site. This is, sorry, sorry, just let me interrupt. This is the first day, this is the, the this preparation the, for your launch. This is the first day that we first opened. It was extremely hot, but we had to get open. Yeah. So the guys that came out and helped, everyone worked in the sun, just got too hot, and some of the guys had to go home. So we lost basically half our crew on the first day. So I stayed on that, that day until um, probably about 3 in the morning the next day, building, and then the next day came... And we started again at 6 o'clock, so I went home for about three hours. And then it just kept rolling on. So we did that until we, until we opened. But in that time that you're sitting there and you're, um, you're at you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, you, there's not another single person there. You're there by yourself hanging springs, I was. So I remember just sitting there going, what have I done? Like this is such a pain. I wish I could quit. And that was the, that's the part where most people sort of go, you know what, I'm going home. But you don't get that luxury being the boss. It's just, it's bad luck. You just got to suck it up and you just got to keep going and do it because on that, I knew that was, I had Christmas coming up. I think I had like two days to go before I had to get this thing finished. And then you just look at it and say, well, for every hour that I'm here, it's an extra hour that I can get, you know, before Christmas because if I, if I left for an hour, it might not be able to be finished by that 24th of December. So I had to get that done no matter what. And it's just one of those things you just can't get out of it. You can't justify going home having to sleep compared to um, the consequences of you going home for a day and, you know, then you're going to be a day late. You know, you can you can have an extra sleep for a day after, in two weeks' time after you've been running for a week. Then you can have your sleep. But right now you've got to keep going. I'm just getting this feeling that uh, you just got a major sense of hustle. I hate losing. I'll have to. I'm um, very competitive. So it's basically you decide you're going to win. This is my philosophy. You decide you're going to win and it's just the time that it takes you to get there may differ between the next guy and you. 
So for some people, they might win in the first year, but for us, it might take us a few extra years. So when you first started this business, you already knew that it was going to be a success. The only reason because I decided it was going to be. It wasn't that I, you know, some people let, let other people sort of make their fate, but for me, I think it's, I decided that we we're going to open up in all these different countries before, a long time before. My lawyer only asked me the other day, he said, oh, do you have a company registered in UK? And I said, yeah. And he said, when did you do that? And I said, about two weeks after I opened the first store. And he said, what, in January? And I said, yeah, I opened, did it in about the first month after we opened or first couple of weeks after we opened. I said, we, I registered in, in the UK because that was the second place I planned on going. So the companies have been open in all different parts of the world for a long time. Some have been open, you know, six months to two years. New Zealand's been open the same amount of time as this one here. So we've got a master franchise for New Zealand that's going in now and a few buildings ready to get up. So, yeah, I always planned it not to be just a little local business. Yeah, wow. That's, no, that's, that's really impressive. I'm blown away. And the growth that you've had in the past few years for your business, it's extremely impressive. I'm curious, what advice would you give to our listeners around just just growth tactics, strategies, marketing in general that you've found that have held you in very good stead comparing, you know, your experiences on your first business and now flip out? One would be don't stick to the rules. The rules will only hold you back. I'd say do whatever you need to go do to get the job done. Obviously stick to the law but not the rules of, of the day-to-day business where people have structures, where they have the normal set business plans. If you can get in front of your business plan, get in front of it and you know throw it in the bin and just keep going. You've got to still stick to the guidelines of where you want to go in business, so don't lose the focus. But make sure that you push everything to the limits. And there's you know the three the three A's are in my book. I adopted off one of my old landlords when he was sort of laughing at me about what I was going to do in his building. He thought it was a joke putting trampolines in a building and we're going to pay, you know, 20 something thousand dollars a month rent. He wanted a bigger bond. But he told me, you know, I've, I've sort of stuck to it. I think it's a great philosophy. It's the three A's. It's accounts, attitude and attack. So if you've got the right attitude and your accounts are always up to date, like we keep our accounts really up to spec these days, it's great. But, you know, if you've got those two in order, then it's just time to just go flat out. They're the main things. As long as you keep your accounts up to date and your attitude is, you know, you're not going to get stuck up. You're not going to have a bad attitude towards people. You always stay humble, listen to everybody. No one's ever too good to listen to someone else, but it's just that you've just got to have, you know, you've got to be open to everyone. But at the same time, it's not to slow down for anyone. So what are your plans for the future with this business where you, it sounds like you have big dreams, like when you first decided what you were going to achieve, what what have you decided? To be honest, I think that every kid around the world, doesn't matter if they're rich or they're poor, deserves to go to a flip out. I see how much fun kids have here at flip out and it's sort of a shame that I see that those kids can pay for it and they get the luxury of, of being able to come and have that fun where there's other kids in other, in other parts of the world that can't. So what we've committed to is to... You know, we'll use the money from certain sites around, you know, in different parts of the globe to pay for free sites that we're going to build and give out to, you know, underprivileged areas. So we're giving one to Afghanistan. The actual equipment's already sitting there, ready to go. So that's got, that'll get just put together in probably the next six or seven weeks. 
that'll get uh, all erected. And then we've got Cambodia coming up to sort of the end of January. But we do plan on doing these all the time and getting our franchisees involved in it as well. Again, it's a bit of an emotional ride for a lot of people, but it's well worth it. It's an, and I don't mind spending the money. Kids are kids. Like they deserve to have, you know, deserve to have fun. Yeah, wow. Well, that's a, that's an amazing mission. And I could talk to you all day, but um, we had to work towards wrapping things up. A couple of last questions. What advice do you give? Because you said you've got a team. How big is your team, sorry? My team of my head office? or Yeah, well, both. Your team of your head office and then globally. I think globally there's about 450 of us. The team, my actual, my building team is in my building business team for all the sites and everything. We've probably got about six or seven people. That's basically about it. They're the main the main crew. One of our things we do want to do is over the next four years, we plan on opening up to 1,000 sites. So we're going to try and do 800 to 1,000 sites over the next four years. So it's a bit of a mission. You just have to, you know, you ain't got no choice. You've got to do it. And how do you manage that team? Because I know the listeners must be thinking that must be quite overwhelming, the thought of having all those people to worry about. It's all micromanaging. So like I said before, I have a lot of uh, online workers that will go through and they'll, it's all about checks and balances. So they'll go through and check systems, make sure everything balances and then give you the report. And as long as all those reports are always good, you know, you can keep doing your day-to-day job and there's no hiccup. But it's also, it's also about having the right staff on board that can also multitask, that aren't just stuck in their way to do one single job, that if something does pop up and we don't have someone for it, that someone's going to jump on that and, and sort it out as quick as they can and go back to their normal job. I'd like to touch on your system because you come back, you, you mentioned your system that you have in place. It sounded it sounded really next level. What Tell us about what advice you would give to people coming up with systems within their business. Systems, it's all got to be uniformed no matter where. I'd have the system so that it can be replicated in different countries um, in different languages and it's not going to make any difference to anybody. It's also got to have an accounting, as I said earlier, with those three A's, with the accounting side of things. It's also got to link into a good accounting system that is also uniformed. So our accounting system, we use one single system all over the world for every country and our guys, our online guys can check any of them at any time. So it's you've always got that little backup and also it's all about technology these days as well. Like technology, you can't, you can't deny that you, you've got to start getting into the new era of you know, having things on iPhones, having training videos that someone could sit at home while they're watching TV. So before a new staff member comes on with us, they've got to go away and go do a training video, their online course, but it's all on their iPhone. So then they'll come in and they'll do their, their training with us in the store to, to prove that they've done their course and they bring their certificate that gets printed out throughout the course and then they can, um, they can go for a job. But before they do that, they can't. So it's all about making sure that you eliminate negligence for us. That's one of our big things. We also want to make sure that the franchisees keep everything in check with you know, how much money they've got coming in, how much money they've got going out next week. So a person will always get upset if, if they can't manage their own money, they'll blame someone else all the time. So if we can keep that in check, the morale for them to grow their business is always going to stay high. Hmm. I see. Do you have any steps someone could follow for setting up a system? Like what, what classifies when somebody needs a system for their business? 
I would say that anyone that's got a, a small business at the moment that wants to go and go to the next level, would I get everyone to write out a manual on what they do day to, on their day-to-day jobs so that someone could walk in tomorrow and sit in that chair, read the manual, and then do their job. All that's done right then, and that's made, that's made a manual, which is that's one procedure done for that job. Then what I do is that every time something comes up relating to that job, whether someone asks a question and you don't have the answer in that manual, answer the question once and then update the manual. So everything's about answering a question once and updating the manual. So for us, when something happens, we answer the question and then go back to the manual and say, you know, we'll update the manual. Because the one answer that you want to have as a franchisor is to say, by the way, it's in the manual. You don't need to answer that. It's it's in the manual. So go back there and, you know, read section 7, paragraph 12, and there's your answer. So you want people to familiarize themselves with these systems really well so that if you've got a good system in place, people don't call you. When you've got bad systems, bad procedures, your phone won't stop ringing. And it's all because it's all up in the clouds and no one's been told anything. So the more you inform people, the more they're relaxed, the better the system, everyone gets along much better. Yeah, no, this is great. And that's how you free up your time to work on growth. Yeah, 100%. So it's if people are ringing us asking silly questions that they've asked three times, but it's still not in a manual, you've still got to answer it. If it's in a manual... You just say, it's in a man- it's in the manual. Like, haven't you read the manual? And they'll say, oh, I'll go check it. And you say, well, it's in the marketing, your local marketing guide. Oh, okay. And then they'll go back and read the marketing guide and they won't call you back because it's in there. So it's, you never answer a question twice in my book. You answer it once and just update the manual. And that's if a person that's in business that wants to get their business and you know running smooth, that's a great way to do it. And also, if you want to free up a lot of time, that's an even better way to do it. You'll free up so much time if you never have to answer a question twice. Yeah, no, that that's awesome. I love that. All right. Last question, Brent, because I'm mindful of your time. Are there any parting words, any action items, any things that you wish I had have asked you that I haven't asked you yet that you'd like to finish off up on for this interview? The only thing that I would say also to give people advice is, and I live by this, I always do this, so I'd say put yourself in a position where you can't turn back and you'll always succeed. That's just the way because it's if you've got something to fall back on, people tend to always go back to that, what their fallback is. They, and they'll, only, they'll only ever push 80% towards that, that first, that number one goal. If you've got nothing to fall back on and you've got no backup, you do 110% every time. And when you feel like quitting, you know you can't, you have to go again, you have to keep going. So if anyone wants to start their own business, I'd say decide, you know, decide what you what it is you want to do, make some good plans, and then I wouldn't go and run it by people that don't have your skill set because they will say no and they'll try and push you away from it. Like I said earlier, those who have got fear of certain things, don't ask that person because he's going to try you know, instill his fear onto you. So if anything... Go see what someone else is going, if they're doing, you know, take what they're doing right, add it to yours, and then just go flat out at it. Don't hold back for anybody. That was awesome. We'll we'll wrap up here, Brent, but thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. This is, yeah, really, really inspiring interview, a lot of gold shared. So, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you. No problems, mate. All good. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, 
either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.